I like to be genuine. I, I, I really do. I, I don't, phony doesn't do well for me. Um, not perfect in, by any means, but I really uh, want to believe that what I say, I do. The challenge we all face is aligning what we say, making sure that it matches what we, what we say, <laughs> that our words match. It's easy for a person to say things and not mean it. In this study that we're in right now on Courageous Conversations, we're at the point where we're talking about the importance of you making sure that you don't just say things, but you actually make changes in your life that reflect what you say. So the first part of the year, we talked about courageous conversations and how you sit down and have those courageous conversations with yourself about things in your life. But once you have the conversations, then you need to change. And one of the changes you need to make in this study this month has to do with making sure that what you say you believe aligns with your works. So we picked up the book of James. In James chapter 1, he talks about the fact that, okay, one of the changes in your life should be that you can manage your challenges differently. You're not falling apart because you're challenged. You learn how to count it all joy. You learn how to see it differently, and that's one of the changes, and people can see it in you. Oh, you're calm. Okay, you're not falling apart. Oh, okay. You know, there's this obvious um, difference in the way you manage a crisis. And it really is about your worldview. If your view is that this is truly the end of the world and you have a chicken little mindset, you know chicken little story, right? You know, sky's falling, sky's falling, run around, and then when, you know, just, just everything is bad all the time. And that's, that was a little childhood story about a chicken who had this, everything is going to collapse. If you're that kind of person who believes that, then your worldview is very narrow. And we talked about that last week. This week, I want to align this whole idea of your works should also be an indication that you have changed. And it, it, it's really obvious when you look at James chapter, chapter 1, starting in verse 21, how this all fits together. So if you would look with me under the statement that I have listed there, I said, the temptation for all of us is to not link our actions with our words. James said it best in chapter 2, verse 17. Faith by itself, read it with me, please, come on. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. But someone, someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Read this with me, please. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James argues it's not just enough to say you believe something. One of the signs that you don't just, that you're not just saying it is that it shows up in what you do. And so here's what I think you should do. I think you should make sure if you want to know yourself, start with what you do, not what you say. That's the best place to learn. If you want to know where your friends are, start with what they do not with just what they say. And it's really, really easy to get lost in this. It's really easy for you, if you're not careful, to make the assumption that because I say I want to go to school, I really want to go to school. 
Because you say, excuse me, you want to be married, that you really want to be married. Your actions can say, I hate marriage. I loathe it. Your actions can say, I mean, I think preachers, some preachers, they don't like preaching. I don't think they like people. Matter of fact, there's an inside joke among preachers. I don't laugh at it. But they say things like this. The ministry is fine except for the people. I thought, well, <laughs> what is the ministry then if you don't have the people? And here's what they're trying to say. It sounds awful, but here's what they're trying to say. I don't know how to manage them. I'm running out of words to say. I'm confused. There's tension between me and the deacons, me and the, the choir director, me and the, I'm just, I'm confused. And so they like the preaching part of it, but they don't want the interaction part of it. And so I want you today to think with me. Do your works match what you say you believe? Are your actions speaking louder than your words? If so, the question is, will you change that? And it starts with being honest. I just think it's just you sit down and say, you know, if I were telling the truth, and if I looked at my actions, I don't like this job. I don't like it. I mean, I wanted this career, but now if you look at how I act and how I respond to people, I'm having, a, I'm having trouble with it. And I, I think that's a starting place. Look for the signs in your life that say, I, I don't know that I really believe what I say I believe. So let me give you seven signs. Seven things that, that I think showcase what your real worldview is. It will show you what your works are. And let me help those of you who may not know what I mean when I say worldview. Your worldview is basically the essence of what you believe or think about something. It's kind of like take everything you believe, put it in a basket, that's it. That's your worldview. You're, you have a worldview about women, about men. You have a way that you think about church. Some people, for example, their worldview when it comes to church is it needs to be as long as the Spirit says and, and it can be three hours and you're up, you're just, you need to stay here until we're finished. And every week is like that. That's their worldview. Uh, I have come to believe that certain worldviews are not clear in the minds of certain people. They don't know they believe that. No one's ever really pointed it out to them. You know when you find it out? When you're forced to interact with people. For example, if you're late all the time, you're a late person. Your worldview is everybody should wait on you. Now, you may say, no, 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 because you're always late. So you go to the airport, and if Delta leaves you, you're mad. Because <laughs> in your opinion, they should have waited 15 minutes. Say amen if you're hearing me. Right. Is anybody cold? Raise your hand if you're cold. Yeah, you are? Yeah. That's, that, we're trying to freeze you on purpose. That's our, our intent. <laughs> our staff wants you to be free frozen so you'll listen. Uh, <laughs> that's their worldview, right? <laughs> there's something, there's something about, about looking at your life, right, and understanding that my actions tell people more about what I believe than anything. So if you're late, like I said all the time, you really believe that everybody should wait for you. That's your worldview. You, you, you get a job and they told you you have three tardies and you're fired. And so first time, second time, 
And they tell, you, they tell you on the third time, don't even come. Just call and say, I'm done. So you walk in there with your smile and your Bible <laughs> under your arm and your gospel taste plan. You know what I'm saying? You're plugs. You're just in the spirit. You're in the spirit. And then they, they call security. And you're confused. You know, you can't believe the devil's doing this to you. And they carry you outside and tell you your check will be in the mail. And you're just upset that the devil fired you. No, no, no. See, your worldview is they should understand. And it's not until you run into somebody who says, if you hit me, I'm going to lock you up. I'm serious. 96% of husbands who, who are people who abuse their spouses, women do it too. You know, women do fight. Come on, say amen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Act like you're innocent now, girl. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you know you bully. You're a bully, praise God. Save sanctified bully, sister. Anyway, so, <laughs> so you know, you, you really don't think it's wrong because you're angry to hit somebody. And it, when the police come, you say, yeah, I hit them, hit them, I, I hit them. Yeah, I, I, because, I, because I was angry. She, she pushed my butt, he pushed my buttons. And so they said, okay. That Mark, you did that? Yeah, I did that. I, I admit it. Praise God. You know, Bob said, tell the truth. Okay, well, let me give you some truth. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> you give up the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. If you desire to have an attorney present, do you understand these rights, so on and so on? I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, put your hands on me. Right there, there you go. Praise God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. That's, that's the result of your worldview. That's the result of your worldview. And there's a moment in life when you need to pause and say, here's my worldview. That's why I always tell people this. Never start with what people say. Say that with me. Come on. You didn't say it loud enough. Come on. Never start with what people say. Always start with what they do. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. It's your worldview. When you get depressed, you get high. That's your worldview. You believe this is the way. You get drunk. You, get, you drink. You, this is your, your view. Start, look at what you do when you're depressed. Start there. Don't start. I'm, I'm saved. No, don't start all that. Especially church people. Church people get on my nerve with all that. All that starting with the hallelujah. Stop it. Stop it. You cussed everybody else out. Now you're talking about Jesus. Start with the cuss words. Let's get down to the cuss words and the fight. Let's get to that part first. <laughs> signs <laughs> that showcase your works and your worldview. I just gave you a couple of signs. James chapter, chapter 1, verse 21 says, the first thing he says that shows that you have a certain worldview. The first work you can look at is, look at the things you're willing to lay aside. Say that with me, please, come on. Look at the things you're willing to lay aside. That tells you your worldview. Here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, you have verse... <laughs> 27 right there, 
We didn't put the verse on your notes. Scroll down, if you would please, all the way down, down to number four. There's verse 27. We're sorry we didn't copy it above, but life happens sometimes. Here's what it says. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the fathers. This, this is James 1.27. Visit the orphans, that's what you should do, and the widows in their, in their troubles. And your goal is to keep oneself, keep yourself what? Unspotted from the world. So back up to number one, okay? If a person is willing to lay aside the things that would spot their life, if a person is willing to lay aside the things that he defines as filthy and wicked, that's a sign that you believe. What will you not lay aside that's bad? That's the bottom line. What do you hold on to that you know is bad in your life? And I love the way he words it. You lay it down. God doesn't force you to lay it down. You lay it down. That's not, that's, not, that's not my decision. And let me tell you, as a pastor, somebody asked me once, how do you manage with, you know, all the members? And I said, hey, it's not my job. It's not my duty. I don't go around like a sin cop. I'm not that guy. You know, if you're doing something, hey, okay. You, you must want to do it. You don't have to run from me. If you don't come to church, don't run from me. I'll, hey, you don't want to come. Am I going to bother you? No. Well, you should. It doesn't work. I've been a pastor a long time. It doesn't work. I'm 37 years. Going on, I go right on 37 to be December uh, 17, to be 37 years. I, I, I'll be a crazy person. You know, I, I believe that there are times in life you have to let people d- decide. Do they want to lay it down? Their works say, here's my view. When I see you, if you don't come to church, right, and, and people sometimes they apologize to me. Now, Pastor Rick, I ain't been there. I've been bad. Really? Okay. I don't know. Here's what surprised them. I don't even ask them what they've been doing. Because I don't know if I want that in my brain anyway. You know, I don't know. It might be a bad day for me. I may be off today. Don't tell tell me too much today. You know, maybe tomorrow. (laughs) Because here's my, the Bible said this. This freed me so much. In John, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. Not Ricky Temple. I can preach. I can Make my best efforts, but until you come to a place of personal conviction that you want to lay this aside, nothing I can do can change that. So look at what you are willing to lay aside. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to look look at the things that you do, the things you do with what you hear. That's a sign that you've come to the right place. You've come to a place where... Your works are aligned with your worldview. Your works are aligned with what you say you believe. The things you're willing to lay aside, the things you do with what you hear, that says a lot. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. And I love this statement. He says, if you only hear and don't do, you are deceiving yourself. Now, let's watch this for a minute. How many of you would say you have deceived yourself at some point? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, I won't ask you how, but we all have deceived ourselves. And, and I, I'm surprised all the time at how often I've done that. How easy it is for me to just slide into disbelief. To this, I'm sorry, to this fantasy world where I'm pretending. Third thing he says is, the things 
you do to help the forgotten. I'm sorry, the things you say, rather. I'm sorry, in verse 26. The things you say. So let's listen again. Come on, say, the things you're willing to lay aside. The things you do with what you hear. And then thirdly, come on, say, the things you say. Look at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he's, a relig- he's religious and does not bridle his what? Tongue. But deceives his own heart. There it is again, the deceiving yourself stuff. Now we'll talk more about this next week, about the tongue. But I, I want you to notice your words are profound indicators of where you are. It, 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 it helps when I listen to how I respond. When I look at myself in the mirror of conversation, and, and I say it back to myself, I learn amazing things about myself. And sometimes, sometimes I just, you know, when I talk to people, I say, back up, say that again, say that again, say that again. Just say it slow, real slow. I hate him. Okay, there you go. That's a start. Just, just You say it slow. I will never forgive him or her. You, you, whatever it is that you're, you're saying to yourself has a profound impact on your worldview. And some people haven't really listened to themselves in a while. I just read back a text message to somebody that they sent me the other day. I said, let me read this to you really slow. Slowly. I want you to just hear this. And as I read it to them, they said, I didn't mean that. I said, no, no, you, you, you no, no, don't, don't fix it now. Don't edit it now. I want you to just read it slow. This is why I encourage people to journal. I believe that by writing down when you're the mad, when you're mad with somebody, next time you're angry, get get some, a piece of paper out now. Put it someplace where people can't find it. But but write, but write down. I think this bum is right down. He's no good rattlesnake. Just write it all down. You know, just and then you know, put a passcode on it. Lock it up if it's in your computer. Don't let anybody get to it. And have a diary where you could just pour your soul out and then read it in two weeks. You know what you say? I was out of my mind. You know, you just, you go back and you, you, when I did, this helped me. It helped me meet myself. There were things, I used to keep these yellow tablets, you know, and I used to write my things to do on the yellow tablets. I don't know why I did that for you, but I had stacks of them. And I was cleaning out my garage and I found the scores of them. And I, and they were by year. And what was scary was I wrote the same goals every year (laughs) and didn't do them. It was hilarious. I was like, what's wrong with you? Um, and then you ever go back through those lists and see the people you met with? I thought, what were you meeting with them for? They were crazy. That was crazy. That, that was a dumb goal. You're never going to do that. Why did you want to do that? You know, you start seeing yourself differently. Sometimes it's when you listen to yourself talk that you'll figure out why you're where you are. If you listen to yourself, it tells you in ways sometimes that it's painful. The fourth thing I think is a sign is the things you do to help the forgotten. Who do you help? Who do you help? Notice in verse 27 of James chapter 1, he says, pure and undefiled religion, true religion before God is this, that you visit and you help the orphans and the widows, people that need you, people that are in trouble. If you're not careful, you don't really help anybody. If you're not careful, your existence is about you. Why don't you give? Not, not to church. Forget church for a minute. You, who do you give to outside of your family? 
what, what kids are you feeding today? Who can say you help them? Not the friend who calls you every month on the 15th. Not that person. But I mean, just a consistent commitment. Now, I want to say this, and I want you to buckle up and don't take it wrong, okay? But, but there's a, there is a receive and not, not give spirit people have. You know, you say, you, you know, <laughs> take this right. You, you, you don't honor God first in your giving ever. It's kind of like a passing thought. I'm big on my giving statement at the end of the year should say something about my worldview. It should say what I believe. And if, if, I, if I gave, if I go to a church, right, and I give um, uh, $50 a year, $5 a week, it adds up, you know, $50 a year. And, if, and I only come, you know, once, once, once a month. And I give $5 when I come. Now, don't, don't get nervous. Keep your money. I'm not trying to hold, you know, just, just hold on. I'm trying to make a point. That says your worldview is I should come and receive and I should never give. We should order pizza at the house. You know how it is. You ever had somebody at the house and you're ordering pizza or something? And it's like five of you. And what's the question? How much money you got? Right? And the one that wants the most pizza didn't give anything. You know that, right? Be the first one to go get it out of there. You get half of slice because you didn't give anything. And there, there, there's this attitude that says God should give a lot to you, but you should be very slow about giving to him or to anybody or any cause. I feel very strongly that I should always be committed to giving. I think churches do it wrong a lot of times. I think they don't often have a clear vision of what they're doing with their resources. But I think that's, that's a side issue. The big issue is, what's my attitude? I love when I go to the grocery stores and they ask the question, do you want to give to this charity or whatever? And I almost, almost always the people in front of me say no. Almost all the time. Probably 90% of the time. I mean, it's just they keep asking, keep asking. But a lot of people say no. I just don't want to be the no person. I want, I want God, I want God, I, I want our church to always be on the forefront of giving. I want our church to always be in a position where we can make a difference. You know, right now, there are kids in Uganda in two churches that are eating breakfast because of your giving. Hallelujah. Come on, give God a big hand. Because of your giving. No, come on, come on, because of your giving. And listen, and they've been eating there for at least, oh my goodness, is it? At least over five years, maybe ten. It's been a long. I have to ask her when it's been. It's been years, five plus years. Just is it five or ten? Close to at least at least five. It's 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 longer than five. It's been a long time. There's something about having in your mind a mindset that I'm going to help somebody. That my my existence is not just for me. Our church has to find uh, organizations and people, and we have to find. I love what we do with schools. I love what we're doing with these, these, this campaign uh, for Rockfest, where you know, 2,200 people come out to this campus. And you guys give away, I mean, uh, over 1,000 kids wear, a th wear, wear clothes to school. They get up every morning and put a uniform on that Overcoming by Faith gave them. Come on, amen. That is, that is phenomenal to me. You know, the, the whole idea of supporting um, 
schools throughout the year. And, and, I, I, and there's something that, that's got to be in you. I, I'm so impressed with my wife because here's, she does something that's really surprising to me. Every, every I, I, I'll look for her around the church. Where are you, babe? And she'll say, I, I'm over in, we have a, a storage area where they, they, they have these uniforms. We buy them all year. They've been, they, we got kind of smart. It's like, okay, don't wait till Rockfest. Buy them all year. And, and then they started negotiating with companies that will sell them to us at a rock-bottom price. And, and it's, like, really, really cheap. Because I used to do stuff we would, after Rockfest or after school uniforms were done, we would go to Walmart or someplace, and we would see a rack full of uniforms on sale. And I'd buy the whole rack, get five buggies, and just load up. And, just, and they said, what you doing? I said, I'm getting ready for next year because I want to be able to bless students. I want, I, want, I want them to get up and put on Overcome by Faith pants. Come on, say amen. I want them to get up. And... All of that, all of that, I think, gives God a reason to bless us. The reason I need resource is because I want to be a, an extension of God's hand. I want you to take your hand, stretch it out. Come on, stretch your hand. Say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. I need to be an extension of God's hand. And it, that's so important. We're, we're going to give $5,000 to a missions group in Uganda, the, the, the medical missions. Last, this year, they, have, they had a budget of $70,000. $30,000 was uh, $33,000, so, so it was for medical. They got that done. Now they have a vacation Bible school for the kids, and there'll be hundreds of kids, so we're going to pay that $5,000. And then there's another portion that's for the renovation. We made this every month give something, you know, just on a monthly basis to help them in their renovation over the next year. But I just said, that's what we need money for. We need resources so we can do stuff locally, do stuff internationally. There, there. What, if, if you say you believe certain things, if you say your worldview is that you should give, is it reflected in the things you do to help the forgotten? And number five, look at the effort you give to being fair. Now, I love this in chapter two because in chapter two, he switches gears and says, okay, if you want to know what you believe, if you really want to know what you believe, first thing you need to do is look at the things you're willing to lay aside. Then look at the things that you do and compare them to what you hear. Are you doing what you hear? Then look at the things you say. Listen to your words that I tell you what you really believe. You want to know your worldview? Listen to yourself. Then number four, he says, look at the things you do to help the forgotten. If you're not helping anybody else, if you're just working so you can get another car, another house, another whatever, then you're not thinking about anybody else. Look at, look at that and ask yourself, what do you really believe based on your actions? Then in chapter 2, he turns to your relationships with other people. And he makes a statement that's so simple but so profound. Look at your worldview when it comes to the way that you interact with other people. Do you know that the effort you give to be fair says a lot about what you believe? Here, listen to James chapter 2. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with what? Partiality. Under number 5 in your notes. James 2. Do not be a Christian and be partial. Don't treat people differently. He goes on and says, if, if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit in, at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges, I love this, with evil thoughts, 
Am I being unfair? You know, sometimes it's, it's so easy for us to, to develop opinions about people. It's just not fair. And that says a lot about your worldview. It says a lot about how you see the world. He goes on in verse uh, 5 to say, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? And I think there's a, there's a moment in my heart where I have to ask myself, why do I have that opinion? Why, why am I acting this way? My, my, my attitude in moments when I'm tempted to be judgmental, when I'm tempted to see a person and say, oh, look at that homeless person. I bet, I bet. I you. Well, how do you know that? Or then to see a rich person and think they're, they're amazing. And I, I make judgments without facts. I come to conclusions without facts. That says a lot about my worldview. I think Christians do that. I think churches do it. There are people going through issues in their life. There are people that you meet, you have really no clue. Your method of judging them is unfair. And I think sometimes even, even with our kids, even with our children, we are making judgments without asking questions. Are you fair? Is it fair for you to judge what pit one kid against another? Is it fair for you? To make them live up to some standard that they obviously can't. They don't, they don't want to go to a four-year college. I'm a big fan of it. Listen, I'm a big fan of that. But for them, there's another route. What, what, what can you do? I, I have members who are at all kinds of you know, places in their lives. I can't ask every member to be a preacher. I can't ask every member to be here, here this every week. I, you know, I, I, they can't. I can't judge your spirituality simply because you can't make it every week or you can't participate in every program. I, I can't. I don't even judge you. I don't judge you because of your giving level. I want to be fair. I, I think it is fair to say if you don't do anything, wow, I can, I can say that. I think a wow is okay if I move in your house and I give nothing. How about a wow? No, come on, say wow. I mean, I can say wow. Whoa, that's, that's special. Whoa, wow, okay. <laughs> you know. I'm taking you to California, but you won't put any gas in the car. Everybody say, wow. Wow. I mean, that's a wow. I mean, I, it's, it's real special. But, but get beyond that. I want you to notice something. I need to, I need to make sure that I, whatever place you're in, whatever we're dealing with, I need to make sure that my thoughts about you are fair. I think I don't need to be partial and judgmental without engaging you. There, there, there's, some, there's some temptation we have to just not be fair. And what's really interesting is some of you have been on the other side of that. Then number six, he says, look at the effort you give to being consistent. I love this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, James says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you do well. But if anyone shows partiality, you commit sin. There it is again. Skip down to verse 10. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. What he's basically saying is, please understand, God's real goal is for you to be clear that you don't need to be partial and you need to understand that your commitment should be total. Let me read the whole verse for you to catch the flow of it. If you really fulfill the, the royal law according to scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do it well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of it all. For he 
who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is not without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The bottom line is, you may be perfect in one area of your life, and a person may have one area of their life, but here's the point. If you make one mistake, you're guilty of everything. So the bottom line is, everybody should be judged fairly, and everybody should be given a chance. What we tend to do is this. We'll take a person, let's say, who's overcome their favorite sin. Uh, their favorite sin used to be cussing. So now they don't cuss anymore, or, you know, like they used to cuss. And um, they just say the light cuss words, you know. You know, they're legal and unlegal cuss words, you know, I guess, in some people's minds. So they, they, you know, the, they, they, so they feel really good about that. They used to get drunk all the time. So they don't get drunk anymore. You know, they, they, they're kind of, okay, I, I give up all alcohol. They get whatever list of things you have that you feel like were the big sins. So you give up the big sins up. And, and so now you think, well, I am perfect, but you are mean as a snake. Okay. <laughs> At least to the people who live with you. And, and, and you, you, you hold grudges. If you are guilty, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and stumble in one point, you're guilty of it all. The point is, it's all about consistency in your life. And God looks at the consistency in your life. God, and this is just is James' point. Remember, James' point in chapter 2 is to say, your works matter. You don't have a right to be arrogant and condemning of others. When you're not perfect, his point is what you do says a lot about where you are. And it's, it's one of those really challenging places for some people because Paul in Romans talks a lot about faith and believing God and being justified by our faith. And he doesn't talk about works too much. He does in chapter 6 a little bit. In chapter 8, he talks about it. But, but his focus is believing that you're justified by faith. James comes back and says, listen, I understand faith is important. But your works really tell us a lot more about your faith. And then he says, please get close up when you start talking about your works. Because some of you have gotten favorite things you don't do anymore. And you're hard on people who are struggling. Are you right tracking with me? You, you're hard on them. He says, no, no. If you mess up in one area, you're wrong too. The point is, you can't look at people that way and judge them. And be partial to them. You can't take the position that somehow because you have gotten one area right and they're struggling that you can have an evil thought toward them. Don't be partial. Be consistent. Your worldview should be we're all in the struggle. Can you say that with me please? Come on. We're all in the struggle. If there's a person in your life that's struggling in the area of their life we're all in the struggle. So when I see you fail, I embrace you, and I say, I know how it is to have everything right and mess up in one area. I know what it's like, and therefore, I will love you as I love myself, in verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If I can forgive me, I can forgive you. If I can be patient with me, then I can be patient with you. If my works aren't perfect, I can love you through your works not being perfect. Give me an amen if you're in the church. Amen. 
then we finally say this. The best way, I think, to get your works aligned with what you believe is to have people you look at, examples, models. There are people that show us how to do this right. In chapter, chapter 2, verse 14, all the way down to verse 26, he mentions basically two people. Here's what he says. If you skip down, look at verse 14. What is the prophet about, brother, if anyone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? For if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also uh, faith by itself, it does not have work. If it doesn't have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. Read it with me, please, and I will do what? Show you my faith in my works, by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you do not want, you, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That's our first model. Do you see do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham did what? Believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Keyword, not by faith only. Likewise, also Rahab, the harlot, was also justified by works. When she received the messengers, and sent them out another way. There is, a, there, there is something healthy about closing this out saying, it's always nice to have two people that you can look at, a man and a woman, and say, now let me see how this works. Two people who didn't just believe but proved it with their works. Two people that I can model my life after. Abraham, who's willing to offer up his son, and Rahab, who gave up her all that she had, her family, her life to protect the spies when they came to, to spy out the land with Israel. There's something about these two people that we can learn from. Who can you look at? Who do you know? Who can you name? Their faith and their works line up. Here's my prayer. Let me be an Abraham. Let my faith, Lord, and my works line up. Let it be you, sister. Among all the women in your family, you be the one whose works match what you say. May they, may they look at your works and be so inspired that they want to be like you. You know, I love this verse. I read it this week. It was so powerful. You are a light set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's God's plan for us. Our church cannot just talk the talk. We must walk the walk. We must be a consistent church committed to God that is fair to the community, fair to people, that doesn't judge unfairly, that doesn't spend all of his time criticizing everything around us. Every now and then we need to understand that we too live on the margins of sin. We too can fail. We must find ways to help the forgotten. We must find ways to embrace people who don't have anything. We cannot just live for ourselves. We must find a way in Jesus' name, to make sure that when it's all said and done, when people listen to us communicate, they say, 
man, that didn't burn me down. That built me up. Next week, we're going to talk about that, how to communicate so you don't burn down. I'm going to show you how to build up. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for everything we've talked about today. Some of us are going to leave here and say, I haven't been fair. I have not been fair. To my kids, I have been too hard. I've forgotten my own behavior. I'm not perfect. If I sin in one area, I'm guilty of all of it, the Bible says. It's time for me to lay down my issues. My dad's not perfect, but guess what? Neither am I. My mom's not perfect, but neither am I. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name as we step into the word that your hand of grace will bless and strengthen and lift us to a new place. I pray in Jesus' name that you would allow the word of God to come alive in our hearts in a way that frees us today to trust you and to not allow our lives to spin out of control where what we say is not consistent with what we do. And I declare in Jesus' name that in your name, lift your hands high, people will leave here and they'll be honest. And they'll say, you know, my works do not match what I say I believe. And I want to see God help me do something about that. We are a light to the world. And I pray, God, that after this sermon, some things we just lay down and admit before God, we need God's grace. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, after hearing the message, I get it. What you said has spoken to me in ways that are very clear. And I want God to come into my life and make, help me see some areas. Help me surrender my life in a way I've never done it before. Some of you have never really given your life to Christ. You said, you know, you're a good person, but after hearing this today, you say, my works don't match what I say. And so I want you to pray for me, Pastor, because I don't want that to be true anymore. You're not going to be perfect overnight. Let's be fair. I just want to pray for you to get started. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, pray for me, raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Who said, pray for me, Pastor? I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you as well. Where am I looking? Here? Okay. Anybody else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to, I see you. I see you two over there. Anybody else? Pray for me. All right. Father, today we pray for all those who raise their hands and many who raise their hearts. We ask you to let this be the moment that their lives will never be the same. I pray for healing. I pray for blessing. Every hand lifted, please. Father, we surrender our lives to you today in a fresh way. We acknowledge our works have not matched what we say we believe. Our words, our attitude towards others, we've held on in an unfair way, bitterness. We, we, we've allowed ourselves, Lord God, to not be consistent. We, we, have, we have come to a place where we need your help. So we ask you to come into our lives we thank you for your forgiveness, for a chance to start fresh. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. amen. Did you learn something today? Yes. I hope so. God bless you. Come on, give God a big hand. Out.